This is our second Sunday on our new series called Ichthus, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. And I'll tell you now, I'm not hitting every verse. We're sort of taking a broader view of what would you, what would you have seen? What would have stood out to you if, if Mark were introducing you to Jesus? What kind of picture would you have of him? So this morning I'm going to do verses 14 and 15 and then jump to, to, jump to 21. Mark chapter 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is God's holy word for us this day. So, there was a very wealthy man living out on the west coast. And he decided he wanted to move to beautiful upstate New York. So, through um, he, he had realtors and uh, lawyers and contractors. And through all them, he secured a, a beautiful property on the lake. And he arranged that he could, um, that basically the, the, be set up, the contractors would build an, 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 a magnificent, magnificent house and had his estate all set up. And that was, as that was being built, though, he realized he would be delayed in actually moving to beautiful upstate New York. And so he had some friends, a couple, and he asked them to stay in his house so that they you know, because he was delayed, so that someone would be living there. And this couple was good-hearted, but foolish. And so as they moved in, there was a man they kind of got mixed up with, got to know. Someone very charismatic and, and friendly, but a very strong personality. And they didn't know this, but he hated the wealthy man. And so he got to know them and managed to, to convince them to let him stay in the house as well. I mean, there's plenty of room, lots of bedrooms. So, so he moved in. But this, this man, the strong man, you could call him, was, had a whole group that, that came with him. And, and so next thing you know, there were people moving in day by day into this house. And the couple just couldn't seem to convince them to not stay. 
and every bedroom got filled up. And next thing you know, they're putting these rundown shacks out in the, the lawn and the estate. And they're just everywhere. And the couple's powerless to do anything about it. And they're embarrassed that this has happened to the wealthy man's house. After a long delay, he finally arrives. Comes, and right away as he comes to his property, the, the strong man, the enemy, confronts him and says, Ha! This isn't your house. This is mine. But I'll tell you what, I'll let you stay here if you acknowledge that. Well, the, the wealthy man says, uh-uh, that, this isn't how that's going to work. I paid for this house. And as he then goes further into the property, all the, the little minions of this strong man begin to, to confront this wealthy man. And they stand up and say, you don't belong here. Go back to the West Coast. Or we don't want you here. Or go away, this is our house now. The rich man seeks out his friends and says, what happened? And he listens to their story and they're embarrassed to tell him how the house got taken over by all these people. And he, he saw that they didn't mean for this. And so he has compassion on them. But he, he says, we are going to take hold of this house. I am going to reclaim it for for my purposes. And so the first thing he does is he establishes that he has clear ownership. He he lets the strong man know, no, this is my house. I have legal authority. The problem being because of New York's housing laws that each one of the squatters has to be evicted by by the going through the Byzantine law system. So so he can't immediately get rid of them all. He has to go one by one and evict them by this process. And slowly but surely, he reclaims the house for himself and his friends. That was a parable. I made it up, just so you know, it's not real. No one from the West Coast is ever going to move here. <laughs> Though I don't know what those wildfires may mean, just maybe. Um, but it's a parable that I, I made up to describe what is happening to explain what's happening in Jesus' ministry as he begins to do the work that he came to do. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior, when he came into this world, he came into enemy territory. He came into a world claimed by the enemy as his own. And so in order to bring the kingdom of God Jesus would have to overthrow the power that rules in this world and evict that power so that he could bring God's kingdom into earth. And that's the story I believe we see from the very beginning of what's going on. You notice that if you read through Mark 1 from the very beginning, it starts with John the Baptist. And he comes announcing to the Jewish people that Jesus is the one they have been waiting for. He's the Messiah. And he tells them to repent and be ready. Now, repent is one of those religious words that gets used a lot. Can I offer in your mind an alternative? 
what he's saying is, pick your side. You can't waffle in the middle anymore. A battle is coming. You have to pick which side you're going to be on. Repent means get ready to make a choice. Who are you going with? What direction are you headed? And so John is preparing the way. And when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and he sees God's Holy Spirit fall upon Jesus, he realizes this is it. The battle has begun. And John knows he's fulfilled his work in setting up the way for the Messiah. Then, right after that, it says Jesus is driven out into the wilderness and he is confronted by the strong man, the enemy. It says he's tempted by the, the, um, the devil in the wilderness. Now, when John, or I'm sorry, when Mark tells the story, he doesn't give a lot of details. Matthew and Luke tell us more about it. But one thing it's clear if you would, would look at that is that, that the devil claims this world as his own. At one point, he offers Jesus, I'll tell you what, we'll make a truce. I'll let you do whatever you want. You can rule over the kingdoms of this earth. Just honor me as the true owner. Just worship me, and I'll let you rule however you want to do it. And Jesus says, no, that's not how this is going to work. And so, no truce. The battle begins. First thing Jesus does is he starts claiming, calling some, some men to, to walk along with him, to follow him, and he's going to prepare them to be his lieutenants in the battle. We're going to talk more about that part next week when Jesus calls the disciples. Um, but the first major incident in this comes in our text today, starting in verse 21. So Jesus goes with his disciples, and they go to Capernaum. This is a town in Galilee. At this point, Jesus does most of his ministry up in the territory of Galilee. It's to the north of Israel. It's not the center. So, so Jerusalem's the capital. It's where eventually Jesus would be, be crucified. So Galilee's up in the north, but it was still a strong area. It would, in some ways, be like upstate New York as compared to Albany. If you want to get a, a vision of it, it's about that distance. And so Jesus does most of his ministry and miracles up in this territory. But the first thing he does, first event recorded, is that he's teaching in the synagogue. And the people, this, by the way, synagogue is the Jewish, uh, Jewish place of worship. They studied the, they studied the Bible and they worshiped. It, you could sort of think of the Jewish synagogue as a, um, an equivalent to a church. But it's actually more accurate to say a church is equivalent to a synagogue because they were here first. We, we sort of took, copied what they did and when we started learning how to worship as a, as a church, you know, in general. So anyways, he goes into the synagogue and the people think, man, this is a good teacher. Like, they were amazed. He, he had this authority about him and he could speak the things and people were like, yes, this guy, this guy's interesting. Unlike most of our preachers we listen to, right? You know, so... So he's, they're into it. He, he's listening to them. And um, it says they were astonished at his teaching. He taught not, not with authority, not like the scribes. But then right away, Jesus is challenged. It says there's in there, imagine this happening, by the way, it, at church. 
there's a man there, and he starts yelling, I know who you are. I know you. You are the Holy One of God. And this is, this is, this is a synagogue member, right? This is someone they knew. And he's acting pretty weird. Like, imagine this happening in the middle of a worship service. He starts yelling, and everyone's starting to think, what's going on here? Um, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Whoa, dude, this is, this is not what we were expecting. This is taking place in the place of worship. In other words, the enemy claims even the places of worship. Places where the Lord is supposed to be taught and honored. You see, what's going on is this man has in him an unclean or impure spirit. Um, He has within him a power from outside of this universe. A spiritual power has an influence in his life. You see, we are physical. We are physical. We have a soul. That's a part of who we are. The spirit world is the world of, that connects us to God. And there are spiritual powers in this world. When the spiritual powers are aligned with the God, our creator, with the Lord, oftentimes we call them angels. But there are other spiritual powers who are not aligned with God, who are working at their own purposes. They're called impure or unclean spirits or we just sometimes call them demons. And so there is a demon that is in or with this man, this synagogue attending member, and he has a power over him. And so he reacts in a weird way to Jesus. And you see, the spirit can see what on the human level no one can see. He could see their truth and reality about who Jesus is. See, he could see right away Jesus was the Son of God. And to him, it was patently obvious. And so this this evil spirit begins speaking through the man, saying, I know who you are. Not only can he see Jesus, he is deathly afraid of him. He realizes that Jesus has come to take away his power and authority in this world, to cast out the evil influences and to send them away. And says, you don't belong here. This is our territory. This is our world now. And Jesus says, be silent. And come out of him. Jesus has authority over the spiritual powers of the world. And he can command them, even when they're on the other side. You see, this confrontation leads to a problem. It's not yet time for the announcement of who Jesus truly is. And even if it was, it it wasn't good for the people to hear about Jesus being the Son of God through a demon-possessed man. Jesus wanted people to see what he did and come to see the truth themselves, to discover it as they encountered him. Not to, not to hear the announcement from, from in this way. And so he commands the man to be silent and he evicts the demon, the spiritual power from his life. Jesus came to challenge the power of the evil one in this world. He came to rescue people from the spiritual powers that were leading them astray. 
He came to bring light into the darkness. And his and he's demonstrating that his power is greater than any power in this world. This would not be the only demon Jesus casts out. In fact, that will be a repeated theme that you'll see in Mark, that Jesus cast out many demons. Or it'll, um, but this is the first. Right away, Jesus is confronted by the power of the enemy. I want you, for a moment this morning, to try to think about the story of Jesus a little differently. I think a lot of times when we think about the gospel, the good news, we think about God's love coming into the earth. God loves us so much, and Jesus came to bring us God's love. True. Or we think about God's truth. Jesus came as the great teacher who would teach us what we know so that we could get back to God and live rightly with God. True. Um, we might also think about Jesus as the purveyor of God's grace, that we are legally guilty of sin, and Jesus came to bring forgiveness by dying on the cross. Definitely true. But this morning, I want you to think of it from a fourth perspective that it's also true. Jesus came to rescue us from the powers, the, of the spiritual powers that were against us in this world. Let's just try that story on as we think more about this. You see, as Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth, he had to displace the hold that the evil one has on the people of this world. In John's gospel, Jesus refers to the devil, Satan, as the prince of this world. Think about what that says. That Satan has a power over this world. It's John 12, 31. Uh, by the way, these are on our handout sheet if you I have the reference verses. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So Jesus came to evict the, the evil power, of the power of the evil one. Later in John 14, he'll say, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. This is right before his death. He has no hold over me. Later in his letter, John wrote in John 4, 4, 1 John 4, 4, he says, You dear children are from God and overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He's saying, God's spirit, as believers, we have God's spirit, and the one living in us is greater than the other spirit, the enemy, who is at work, who is in the world. Paul would say the same truth in a different way. Paul in his letters. So in Ephesians 2, catch, catch how this is the same, even though it's using different terminology. In Ephesians 2, he says, he's talking to those who weren't believers but now are. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So it's saying the spirit of the, the is the kingdom, um, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the, the air about us, the world of this air. And so when we're in the world, that is what sets the direction for our life. Until a new direction is set when we put our faith in Jesus. 
Paul again speaking of the same truth in a different way. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. So all these terms are referring to the same enemy that opposes God's work and tries to keep people bottled up under his authority and control, who doesn't want people to know that the Son of God has come. But you might say, wait a second. If God made the world and God made us, how could his enemy be the one in charge? How could his enemy be the one who's the prince of this world? Well, it starts in the Garden of Eden, back in the beginning, Genesis 3. When God made the world, it was good, very good. And when God made people, he loved them and was in relationship with them. But the one, the first couple, Adam and Eve, that he had, had created, they made a decision. Because they were made in God's image, they had the ability to make, make a decision like this. They made the decision to listen to God's enemy rather than God himself. They chose to listen to the serpent, the one who came into the garden to convince them to not trust in God. And when they listened to that serpent, it changed everything. And as a result, um, the serpent would gain a hold upon Adam and Eve and every person that would come from them. And you see that in the story of the scripture. So they had a hold on Adam and Eve. What what did Adam and Eve's firstborn son do? He killed his own brother. All because that hold would grow in each descendant that came from it. All the way to us. You see, the serpent, the evil one, has some foothold in every person born. Even the best of God's servants. Those who wanted with all their heart to follow the Lord and do what he said had some inner flaw that would show up in their life. Don't believe me? Read the story. Uh, Let's start with Noah, right? The great boat builder. You know, God used him in a great way for salvation, but he battled drunkenness. That comes out. How about Abraham, the great man of faith? Well, Abraham Abraham had this, this, this thing about getting caught in lies. Just kept, just kept happening. Or his grandson Jacob, who spent half of his life as the deceiver, who used deception to try to, to, to navigate his way in life. Or you come to Moses, the great redeemer, deliverer of the Hebrews out of Egypt. He had some major anger issues that would show up in his life. An easy one is Samson, right? Physically strong. He just couldn't say no to women. Or David, the amazing man after God's own heart. And yet he had a problem with lust. And he misused the power that God gave him in an awful, horrible way. And his son Solomon brought glory to God and and the, the peak of God's kingdom of Israel. And yet he had a greed that could not be satisfied. I could keep going. But if you've read the scriptures, if you've seen that every single servant of God had that foothold of the enemy in them. 
What about us? Back in Genesis 3, when God confronts Adam and Eve and, and with what they have done and listening to the serpent, he makes a, a, a prophecy, a foretelling. He says to them about the serpent, it says the offspring, there will come an offspring of Eve that will crush the head of the snake, even as the snake strikes his heel. This is not just random random little thing. The words are chosen very carefully. You see, what it's saying is there will come a future descendant of Eve, a Messiah, and he will put an end. He will crush the enemy once and for all, even as the, the serpent strikes back at him and inflicts a mighty wound on him as well. Is it any surprise when the Messiah comes that the enemy is fighting back and confronting him at every turn at trying to stop what he's doing? Because Jesus came into enemy territory. He came to take away the power, the hold that the enemy has over people. That's part of the good news. Now, I realize I'm talking about demon possession, right? Is that weird? It's kind of weird for our day, isn't it? I know there's a little part of me that's like worried, like, where's where's Pastor Mitch going with this, huh? You know, is, it, is he going to start doing like... Um, the exorcist all, all throughout the church now. You know, are we going to have people with their heads spinning around? And is this going to get all weird? I, I think, I think demon possession is real. Um, but that's not really where I'm headed with this. I think it's rare. It's probably more rare than in our day because the gospel has gone forth. It's probably more real in parts of the world that have not heard yet about Jesus. But what I would suggest is even if we're not demon-possessed, there, there's still footholds that the evil one has in each of our lives. There, uh, their sinfulness has a corner of our heart. And at times, it bursts forth in some very ugly ways. Words or actions or fears, lashing out at loved ones, blaming people, insecurities that rise, or, or defensiveness when you weren't expecting it. And sometimes it catches us by surprise. There's things that happen. If we saw in others, we'd see right away, this is a problem. But we can't always see it in ourselves. Note what Jesus said back in John 14.30. I mentioned, he says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. Jesus is the only one who could say that. The only one whom Satan had no absolute hold on. He's the only one who had no sin in him. The evil influence is so woven into our very being that it is beyond our power to free ourselves from it. We needed a Savior. We need a Savior. And so Ichthus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior, came into the world. He came with the authority to free us from the power of the dominion of darkness and set us free to live for God the way we're meant to. 
Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the salvation he came to bring, taking us out of one kingdom and bringing us into his, as his kingdom grows and expands on the earth. There are three parts to this, this salvation that Jesus brought. One is completed already. One happens whenever anyone puts their faith in, in the Son. And the other is an ongoing work that happens in the life of believers. So, so part one. Jesus defeated Satan and took away his power by giving his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. The power that Satan had over people is the power of the accuser. That's what Satan means. He could accuse us of our sin. And, and he knows our guilt. But when Jesus gave his life and paid for our guilt and sin and, and brought that all upon his shoulders, it took away the power that Satan had over people. It set us free. That's part one. That's completed. Part two is we are claimed as his and released from the authority of Satan through Jesus. When we put our faith in the Son of God, when we hear the good news and we believe it, and we say, yes, we pick a side and say, Lord, I'm in. I, I, want, I want you in my life. I know I need your spirit. You see, it's God's spirit that comes into our heart and life that, that can free us. And now we are his. We are sons and daughters of God, and he has no power, no authority over us. That's part two. That happens and can happen this morning. If you've never picked a side, now's the time, friends. Part three happens as an ongoing work in the lives of all believers. You see, the Holy Spirit begins the work of unwinding the hold that Satan has within our lives. You see, Satan has sinked his tentacles deep within so that we don't even see all the time the problem ourselves. And as we walk with Christ, things will arise. It's the Holy Spirit bringing to light one of those tentacles. And as he works within us, he slowly unwinds those so that we can be free to live with him. It's a work that begins the moment we trust ourselves to Jesus. And it's a work that will be completed when we see him in perfection, then we will see him as he is and we will be like him, completely set free. Fear not, brothers and sisters, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I have three applications I'd like you to consider. One, this may be new to you. Maybe you've never heard the story this way or maybe you just aren't familiar with it. You're visiting with us or just new to this. Check out the story. As you maybe read it yourself or as you walk with us as we talk about Jesus and Mark, think about whether the story I've described is true or not. As you, as you look at the world, does the story of, of what I've shared make sense with what you see in the world? Check out the story. Decide for yourself whether, yeah, this is true. This is the way it is. Second application. Pick a side. I think we like to play it in the middle, right? We, we like to be Switzerland. We don't want to commit. We want a little bit of this as well as of this. When, when 
Jesus came as the first thing, repent, pick a side. Decide that you are all in for following Jesus and whatever he has for your life and for building his kingdom. I want nothing to do with the other guy. Jesus, I'm all yours. Pick a side. The third application, recognize the footholds. He had footholds in every servant in the Old Testament. He has footholds in our heart. We don't might not even see them until we walk along and all of a sudden we're angry and we don't understand why. Recognize the footholds and ask for help. Lord Jesus, help set me free from this. Lord Jesus, teach me the right way. Lord Jesus, this is beyond my power to fix. I give you my heart so you can fix it. He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that that you sent a Savior. You saw our our condition. You saw the power that the, the evil one had upon this world and over our lives. And you sent a Savior who we can trust in with all our hearts. Lord, may you show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we close this morning, we're going to sing the song, uh, Let Your Kingdom Come, that we did as a special music piece. It Really, the words are a prayer from our hearts. Let's stand and then join us as you're able to.